GM everyone, welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, well, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And today was a powerful episode indeed. We add on Sam Kazemian himself to talk about Frax Heath V2, how the week has been going, and a bonus, everything you want to know about Fraxchain and its latest developments. You better stick towards the end because he reveals all and then some. Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? I think the listeners need to be ready to take notes like right on minute one because we pretty much jumped right in because <laughs> we, we only had 60 it. minutes. We only had 60 yeah. minutes. So we went ham right away. So like listeners, readers, pay yeah. attention immediately and start taking notes. This is a quick hour. It'll be over before you own it and you'll be wishing for more. And so if you want more, Make sure you hit that bell button, subscribe. Let us know what you think in the comments. Give us a like. Make sure you subscribe to us, flywheeldefi.com. Follow us on Twitter, at flywheeldefi. You know, join the conversation on Telegram, at flywheeldefi. Follow me on Twitter, at defidave22. You can follow me at 0xcapital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. GM, everyone, it's the episode that you've been waiting for. And it's the Frax ETH V2 episode explainer on Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave here with Capital K. We have on Sam Kazemian, co-founder, mastermind, uh, contributor to, humble contributor to the Frax protocol. Sam, thank you so much for coming on for this edition of Flywheel. Thanks, guys. It's always fun to be on with you. Yeah. Uh, Before we get into V2, uh, let's take a look back on V1. Um, You know, it launched about nine months ago, 10 months ago, back in October. Um, how do you think the performance of uh, Fraxy V1 has been so far? Yeah, I think, you know, we've come a long way uh, objectively, you know, without coloring it in terms of any, you know, like, oh, it's so cool or whatever. Objectively, it's I think it's the fastest growing uh, LSD probably uh, in history in terms of how quickly it's grown. Lido has had about two years to get to its size. Um, and Fraxith V1 uh, is already, as we speak, about 238,000 uh, ETH in terms of supply. And it's always been consistently the top uh, yielding uh, LSD slash stablecoin. You guys know we, we like to call it a, a stablecoin system, and you know I can explain why. Um, but things are great. And also... Um, one of the main, you know, things about Fraxith V1 is we wanted to get it out and um, in V2 decentralize the validator base. Uh, but as you guys know, the validator base is um, run by the Frax core team. Now, the thing about that is Fraxith V1 literally has the highest uh, rating network on rated.network, which rates validator effectiveness it has the highest all-time rating um it has 
the highest, you know, past 30 days, past seven days, you know, sometimes it might move between like rank one or rank two, but it is literally the number one rated effectiveness rating uh, for validators. In fact, one thing, um, I think there's like a lot of Frax ETH v1 skeptics and I mean, they, they know who they are and stuff. But uh, one of the things uh, that's my uh, that I think is really funny is a lot of them on Twitter say like, oh, these, these validators are just like ran in, in like Sam's basement or something. And uh, I always think it's, that always gets me like a really big chuckle no. because it's like then then these these validators in supposedly in my basement uh, are, are the best performing in the entire uh, Ethereum ecosystem and, and the entire industry. That's, uh, that's yeah, quite right, right next to your, you know, your gym rack, your barbells and everything. Yeah, you just have yeah, a bunch yeah. of this, like hardware cold servers just like running in the back as you lift yeah no but uh but in all seriousness um they obviously are not ran uh in my basement they're <laughs> ran by the, the core team um you know uh alex justin uh part of the core infrastructure team and they are very very professionally ran with you know um geographically diverse um diverse uh node so we run Prism and Lighthouse, and uh, you know the. Oh, so the there's two client. There's two client architectures. That's good. Yes. So right now there's two clients, um, and basically we mirror it for like the actual distribution, right? Like Lighthouse and Prism are the two most uh, mm-hmm. you know ran and used clients. So our size kind of naturally mirrors the the natural validator distribution, right? And um, like I said, you, you don't have to take my word for it. You know, rated.network is like an objective third party, you know, not related to us or any, you know, LSD project or something. And they literally rank Frax ETH uh, or technically the Frax validator base as the most effective uh, all time uh, validators. You can literally just go and look at that as we speak right now, rated.network and click all. So, I mean, that, that speaks for itself. That's the Fraxeth V1 design in terms of, yeah, the validators are, are ran by us. Um, but the economics of it obviously are, are, are very unique. I'm pretty sure most people, you know, listening to Flywheel have, have you know, seen the two token design, mm-hmm. right? It's Frax mm-hmm. ETH is a stable coin. It doesn't yield anything. You can kind of think of it like USDC, right? Or, or Tether, yeah. right? Like these are, these are like stable coins. They don't yield anything. And then imagine um, if, for example, you know, regulation and stuff aside, obviously imagine if, for example, Circle had like a staking vault or like Tether had a staking vault that said, hey, if you go stake your, you know, USDC, right? You'll get the, the Fed rate or something, right? Like the mm-hmm. Fed treasury rate or whatever. Um, and essentially you stake your dollars the same way normal people stake their dollars with the treasury or like mm-hmm. with the Fed through, you know, custodians or whatever, right? It's like, you know, treasuries are kind of like staking your dollars, right? Um, so we have this design, but for uh, ETH, right? You have a non-yielding stable coin and then you have a POS vault. Uh, we call it S-Frax ETH, staked Frax Ether. And you go and you deposit your Fraxy stablecoin in there, and then you get an interest-bearing asset, right? And that's where all of the the uh, POS, you know, rewards actually go and get you know distributed mm-hmm. to uh, people. So that that's the Fraxy V1 design. It's it's worked extremely well. At first, people were a little confused because it was the only you know LSD slash stablecoin kind of system where there was two tokens. People were like, "Why is it? Why does it have two tokens? It seems." 
uh, you know, unnecessary or weird, but uh, lo and behold, it's worked uh, even better than, you know, we, we expected, but it's definitely uh, been a huge success. All right. So that's Frax V1. Now, when you were designing Frax V2, what design considerations and what priorities were there for the Frax core, te- core team in constructing it? Yeah. So uh, Dennis and I, Dennis, who's another uh, part of the, the core team, have had talked about this extensively, which was um, the issue of obviously fully decentralizing and making it entirely trustless, um, both in terms of node operators and just, you know, everything being uh, on chain, you know, no M6, no nothing, right? Um, There's a few things to, to think about, right? One is if everyone can run a node, right? Uh, which is great. It's very inclusive. It's it's awesome. There has to be some market mechanism to select for the most performant, most sophisticated, and best uh, entities that know how to run good notes. Whether that you know it's it's um, MEV revenue or low costs uh, for them running notes and like the highest uh, internet speed, right? Block propagation, attestation responses, and and stuff like that. So there has to be a market mechanism that just actually selects for proficient node runners, right? Like that, that's one thing. And number two is that if you're going to fully decentralize, you're not going to, for example, KYC people who run nodes, or you're not going to like keep the like reputation scores or something like that. And you're going to make it truly fully trustless. There's going to have to be some amount of, collateral in some way, something put on chain, right? There, it's, it's impossible for there not to be, if, if POS is, is risky, you could get slashed, right? There's going to have to be some amount of collateral. And that amount of collateral uh, does bring the capital efficiency of the system down, right? And the capital efficiency going down means that the LSD APR necessarily uh, goes down, right? It, it affects returns. And this is actually something, you know, we could talk about this part of the reason, for example, like Rocket Pool's Wreath always has a lower APR than like Lido's. But, you know, for the lower APR, obviously anyone can run nodes. The reason for that, the reason Wreath is a lower APR is like people have to come and put their own ETH as collateral, right? And so the POS yield is finite, right? The Ethereum protocol gives mm-hmm. some POS yield to stakers for each validator you run, right? And that actual yield has to get distributed between both people who put up some collateral and the people that uh, hold wreath, right? And so this this kind of uh, push and pull is something that we wanted to solve with, with Frax ETH v2. Got it, got it. Um, so, you know, you released it this week um, and everything. I mean, you released the news of it this week on Dora Hacks. Um, and it got quite the response. Uh, I mean, you went to the Rocket Pool Discord. Um, you also answered a bunch of questions, both online and in the Telegram. Um, how do you think the response has been to Frax ETH V2 this week? Uh, I think it's it's been huge, right? Like just looking yeah, at the massive. Res- massive, right? In terms of both people on Twitter talking about it, the total impressions, just everyone, like like you said, Rocket Pool discussing it on their Discord, and and they're all great guys. They're very very smart. Um, honestly, probably the smartest in terms of no, knowing how to run nodes and these kinds of things, dissecting it. Um, I think it's probably helpful 
uh, to discuss kind of the basic aspect of yes. what Fraxith V2 actually is. Yeah. Um, and so the way that we think about it is that all LSDs are lending markets. And so th this is kind of weird because no one has really said this before um, until we came out with, you know, Fraxith V2. Just just like close your eyes and think about, for example, Aave, right? Aave, everyone knows it's, it's just, it's a lending yep. platform, right? You can put some collateral and you can borrow something out of it, right? When you deposit ETH into Aave, right? What do you get out? You get AETH, right? The Aave rebasing token, right? And if someone wants to go borrow that ETH, what do they do? They have to go put up some other kind of collateral, right? It, it could technically be uh, anything that Aave accepts, right? It could be stable coins. It could be other volatile assets or something, right? And then they get to take the ETH and then they could do whatever they want with it, right? They could go sell mm -hmm. the ETH. They can uh, hold it or whatever, right? And then they pay you, the AETH holder, right? The lender of that ETH, they pay you some interest rate, right? Decided on based on the utilization function, right? It's like there's no central person, you know, moving the interest rate. It's all based on uh, an algorithm, right? So we started with that first principle and we said, okay, like imagine if that was the case and instead of you being able to just take the ETH and go do whatever you want with it, like sell it on Uniswap or whatever, what if there are just smart contracts that made you only able to do one thing with the ETH, run a validator, right? Instead of the ETH going directly to your you know, EOA or something, right? The ETH gets immediately uh, pushed into the staking contract, right? And a validator spins up and like, you know, if you have your validator public key, you know, like you, you, you yourself, right? You actually publish your validator public key in that flow and the ETH that's staked attaches to your validator's public key. So you can start actually validating with uh, your, your validator, right? It's actually um, basically in your control. Now, the withdrawal key obviously uh, goes mm -hmm. to the FraxETH V2, you know, the protocol's withdrawal key. That's part of the point is so you can't just take the ETH and like run away with it, right? And so right. we designed this system where think of it like Aave, except instead of taking the ETH and going to Uniswap and selling it, the only thing you can do is send your validator's public address to it, right? And it'll bind it to that ETH and then it'll stake the ETH for you, right? And then you get to do stuff, make blocks, attest yeah. to stuff, right? And as long as you just pay the interest rate uh, to the AETH holders, right? Think of the Aave situation again. As long as you just pay that um, just through your earnings or through, you know, whatever, um, you can just keep the loan open, just like just like Aave, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's the basic first principles thinking of uh, FraxETH V2. And if you think about it more, this is how all LSDs work. There's just it's just like um, you know, uh, it's kind of you know slathered with different words like stake the uh, you know LSD token or like spin up a node and do this and that. It's just a lending market. It's just lenders and borrowers that actually make it work, right? A lot of the things like when I was talking on the Rocket Pool Discord, one of the things they were saying is 
I'm not a borrower. I do work for the protocol or something, right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that there's no, yeah, you do, but but the the economic modeling of it is a loan, right? Like you don't own the the mm-hmm. actual ETH. You're it, it's just like a a house if you if you got a mortgage, right? And and the house technically uh, the title belongs to the bank, right? And but you live in it. You get to you know do stuff in the house or whatever. It's the same thing, and so the the whole idea is that if you treat it like a lending market right um it's basically the most efficient lsd protocol because everyone that is good at running a validator will want to borrow uh eth right and start validating keeping the the mev and the pos yield and stuff and paying just the interest rate right to to the actual lenders right and the the final piece of it is instead of AETH, right? The, the token you know you get from Aave if you deposit ETH, the AETH is just Frax ETH, right? It's just Frax ETH, and that's the token you get. And if you want to earn the interest, you just go stake it as S Frax ETH, right? It, it just goes into the the actual um, interest bearing you know POS vault, right? And um, the thing is, this system actually helps with the the two challenges I I was talking about, which is making sure that the most performant node operators always are the ones running nodes and also making sure that literally uh, the the effectiveness rating and, and the best validators um, are always the, the validator base of, of Fraxy 3 v2 if, if it's not going to be the, the core team that's running it, right? Yeah. So basically you guys had this challenge with V2 and the challenge was how do we keep our 99.9% top rated uh you know eth staking system going and how do we decentralize at the same time and in order to do that you went to this first principle thinking of like okay like how do we you know what is you know lsds they're just lending pools and we're creating a lending market how do we create this lending market and you have this uh you know like you said this ave period pool model uh going on um you know, when yeah, I was like, actually, yeah. actually, let, let me just say, yeah, exactly. Like you could even think about it. Like, honestly, like if Ave wanted to get into the LSD game, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the way that they're starting to get into like the stablecoin game, right? They're, they're launching mm-hmm. Ghost soon or something, right? Yeah. They could just make a system where, uh, you know, like you lend ETH into like the, an Ave market, right? And then like the Ave uh, core team or something runs the validators and then distributes the interest to a, a ETH holders, right? That's essentially like Frax ETH V1, right? And then they can update that system where then uh, after a while, when you go and lend ETH in Aave and you get out a ETH, then uh, it's not just the Aave core team, but someone else can collateralize uh, it and, and run the validator if, if it's profitable for them, right? If they're very sophisticated, they get a lot of MEV and they're willing to pay the interest rate to uh, a ETH holders, right? Like Aave could do this, right? It, it, it's it's very sound. It's economically exactly how uh, Lido works, right? Lido, in mm-hmm. fact, mm-hmm. The, the funny part is Steeth is rebasing just like Aave's AETH token. <laughs> they both rebase, <laughs> right? It's yeah. literally the exact same code, except the difference is like, Lido has these partners, right? The the twenty nine or thirty, however many there are, uh, professional, you know, node running you know, uh, mm-hmm. entities, right? And they send the ETH to them, and then they run 
the validators and then they distribute the you know the rewards after taking a fee and then you know the the node runners taking their uh cut and and stuff as well then it gets rebased into steep it's the same thing right yeah right right and sam uh, let's let's go back to frax evv2 and dive a bit deeper into that utilization rate and how that interest rate is calculated uh, well actually let's first start with how much collateral do you have to put up what's the ltv here yeah, so that that's a great question uh, and uh, part of the heart of the design, right? Um, right now, our modeling and kind of our own view of it uh, is that it can be four ETH, four ETH of collateral to four actually ETH. four ETH. Wow! Yeah, to to actually, yeah, to um, borrow twenty eight ETH for easy <laughs> 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 And, and like uh, to borrow 28 ETH and then combine it, right, to spin up a validator, uh, mm-hmm. which is 32, that uh, is borrowed, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that actually makes it twice as efficient as Rocket Pool, right? right. But one thing I want to uh, highlight as like a caveat is like obviously VFXS holders have to vote on the LTV of these. They, they control uh, all of the actual uh, loan parameters, right? So... While I actually think that, you know, I would personally vote for, for four ETH, right? Um, I think that, you know, at the launch, VFXS holders should uh, decide. But this this makes it twice as efficient as, as Rocket Pool, which is currently eight. They recently updated their, you know, the Atlas mm-hmm. upgrade, uh, which lowered the collateral requirements from 16 ETH to eight. Uh, we think four is is good. Um, there's obviously design uh, trade-offs for that. For example, um, the actual uh, risk of slashing is based on how contentious uh, a block's attestations are. So, for example, if you accidentally just are running a node and then like uh, you double attest to something, that's just one ETH, give or take, of slashing. No one, no one. It's not a contentious block. You get slashed, it, it kind of sucks, and then you get ejected, by the way. So how ETH works is mm-hmm. if you get a uh, slashing event, you actually get ejected from the validator queue. So you actually uh, don't even run the node uh, afterwards, right? You get kicked oh. out, and so your your nodes are uh, in, in the exit queue, right? Um, however, if there's an actual contentious block where, let's say, like 30% of all attestations are on, you know, block a and then 70 are on like block mm-hmm. B. Well, first of all, this would be really bad. This I don't think this has happened even a single time since POS, but there's going to be a lot of uh, slashing going on. The 30%, the minority, right? Mm-hmm. They get slashed proportional to how contentious the actual wow. attestations are. So you can actually get slashed anywhere between like one to, you know, four, eight, 12, whatever, um, and so these are risks. These are, I, I want to highlight the actual risks in terms of, for example, right now, Rocket Pool has eight ETH as collateral. Um, mm-hmm. If Rocket Pool node operators uh, vote in a really contentious block and, and, and like a contentious situation and they're, they're wrong, they're in the minority, uh, Reef could be insolvent, right? Like they can, there could be a mass slashing event, right? And the node operators can lose more than eight ETH. Like 80th is not like a cap in, in consensus. Like the, right. you know, there's never a way to ever get slashed 80th. No, no, you can get slashed more than 80th. It's just the situation. It's up to, 16, it's up to 16th, right? 
Um, I, I, there's no literally hard coded number. Oh, it's, wow. it's based on an actually uh, off the top of my head. I don't know the exact equation because it's actually fairly complicated based on how many attestations are on the other, uh, block, but it can be pretty high. Um, it can be very high. And so when, when there's this collateral factor of like 80 for rocket pool, and we, we think we should do four ETH, mm-hmm. it relies on the fact that those situations, uh, don't happen. And so far that's correct. Right. Um, but then basically, uh, if they do happen, then it's, it's pretty important that the node operators don't vote on the, on the losing, on the minority uh, block, right? And so that's just the caveat. I, I wanted to clearly say like the collateral factors are important because you basically uh, are trying to guard against those situations, right? So, so yeah. Got it. And, and so Sam, a quick follow-up to that. As obviously four is really low, frankly, the lowest in the market. Um, and isn't that kind of extra risky, and a follow-up to that is, as the node operators build up a reputation, could they then raise their LTV over time to get even like, you know, one ETH if they're on rated.network 99.9%? Or frax rated.network. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's exactly the, the kind of flexibility and malleability that the frax ETH v2 design allows you to have. Um I don't know what the you know future holds in terms of like how things will evolve, but part of the reason uh, when I announced this, I said this is like the most, um, you know, the the most um, flexible, versatile, and kind of a clean slate LSD mm-hmm. system to build on is instead of having to you know hard code really big updates, for example, right, like Rocket Pool's Atlas upgrade or like. Uh, Lido's V2 or whatever, right? Their, their staking module uh, stuff that they uh, announced mm-hmm. recently. Fraxith V2 is extremely uh, malleable. You can have like a governance vote that says like, okay, these, these lending, lending parameters, like the LTV of like 90% is uh, possible for, you know, uh, X, Y, or Z things that, you know, the smart contract will check, right? They're, they're like, you know... Um, validator history or whatever and so the answer is yeah if if governance approves it and it's actually just a very simple uh parameter change right it's like a new loan term um but as you said uh pretty risky right if you lower it especially to like one ETH and stuff it's always uh you know a risk versus reward kind of thing but the cool thing is vfxs holders will just be able to control all of this yeah, to follow up on that, like how could, you know, the system protect against that risk? Like even though let's say, you know, the Fraxith V2 family of validators are, you know, top tier, cream of the crop, best of the best. Like let's say some unfortunate uh, event happens. Um, could there, you know, could there be like an insurance fund? Could there be some yeah. backup plan? Could like, how, what do you think, how do you imagine the protocol acting if like the worst of the worst happens? Uh, yeah, so right now there is like a small insurance fund in Fraxy. Oh, yeah, 2%. Yep. Yeah, it, it's obviously it's it's not huge. And uh, obviously it's far from needed as, as the number one rated uh, validator <laughs> base. Um, but basically, uh, I think there's an important aspect, you know, that if, if the node operation is fully decentralized, there should 
be some kind of insurance and fails. That's kind of what the collateral is, right? So like exactly yeah. if we're lowering the collateral, uh, you're kind of lowering the kind of insurance, so to speak. And you can always obviously have extra insurance. Uh, again, mm -hmm. that's just idle capital that's sitting there. So um, you should, you know, again, there's no, there's no free lunch, right? It, it risk is there's always no kind of There's such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. 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 I mean, but that's the thing with insurance, right? Like you, you need it when you need it. And when you don't, it just kind of eats at your bottom line. And exactly. I, I feel, I, I feel like, uh, do you think right from the get, are you going to maybe increase the insurance fund, like take from 2% to say 3% a little bit just to see. I guess it's up to the, the FXS holders. They want to increase. Yeah. It. Okay. I, 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 I guess so. But I mean, I feel like we should have a starting line where, the insurance fund is a little bit higher just so that we see like are the you know joe's basement node operator as performant as frax's as sam's basement operators right to make sure that they're at the 99 percent level or, or are we just going to start out the gate with a super low collateral ratio and a super low uh, uh insurance fund and see if you know it'll, it'll kind of i wouldn't run. say the insurance fund is like that low but yeah sam go ahead and answer that question yeah uh it's interesting you say that because I think there's like two camps and I don't want to put words in C2TP's mouth, but one thing he was saying is, do we even need the insurance fund when node operators have to put up some kind of collateral? But then you have, you know, your reasonable take, which is, well, the collateral is kind of low and the we don't even know who the node operators are anymore, right? Because they're <laughs> centralized. Yep. You don't know their uh, competence and, and any of that stuff, right? And you, you might need more than, than 2% of an insurance fund. So... Uh, I think there's two camps forming here, and they're both reasonable. Um, and you know, I actually don't know what what camp will will win or what governance vote will be put up and which vote will uh, end up winning. But I guess that's kind of what the point of decentralization is. Yeah. Um, so another question I've been thinking about, you know, going through all the interviews, docs, threads, and whatnot, um, is this whole concept of your base instead of borrowing ETH. You're borrowing validators, which is uh, quite the nuance. And honestly, the more you've been talking in this interview um, and saying the only thing node operators can do is operate a validator, it kind of reminds me of Eigenlayer a bit in the sense of like how conditional it is. Like with Eigenlayer, it's like you stake and you're you're like supposed to do a job, and if you don't do that job, you get slashed. Like in you know in structure and like honestly, it sounds like the same thing. Um, and so, can you like go and explain? Um, what what the nuances between you know borrowing a validator and borrowing eth yeah and it's kind of similar to how, how i was explaining it in terms of uh like like a house right and yeah um i think a lot of people would understand this if they're not in the lsd space is like imagine if you were trying to buy a 3.2 million dollar house right 3.2 million 32 eth right like just uh mm -hmm. Um, like analog there, right? Let's say you had $400,000, right? And, you know, $400,000 for ETH, right? And you, you go to the bank and you say, okay, I want to buy this $3.2 million house. Uh, I only have 400K. I need $2.8 million more, right? The bank says, okay, sure, you know, your, your credit's fine or whatever. The house is good enough collateral, right? They give you $2.8 million. You combine it with your $400,000, right? Now that's 3.2 million. You use it to actually buy the house. But the thing is, the the house doesn't entirely belong to you, right? The house, mm -hmm. actually, the title is is uh, the, the bank 
is on the title, right? Because you actually owe the bank $2.8 million, right? And the house itself is the thing that's collateral, right? You, you basically kind of owe either the house to the bank, right? Or you owe <laughs> $2.8 million uh, to the bank, right? And so this is kind of the same thing. You, you go to the Braxith V2 protocol and you're saying, hey, I have four ETH, right? I want to run a validator uh, and I need 28 ETH, right? And so the protocol is like, okay, fine. And you combine 28 ETH with your four ETH and you spin up a, a validator, right? It's the same thing as buying a $3.2 million house when you only have uh, 400K, right? And then you get to obviously like live in the house, right? And here you get to actually run the validator, right? And so uh, the idea is that you can just either eject the validator, right? Give back the, you know, 28 ETH, right? Uh, and, and take back your, you know, four ETH, or you just uh, continue to pay the interest, right? It's similar to like a mortgage where either hopefully you pay back the $2.8 million, right? And, and the house becomes yours, or, you know, you, you default or whatever, which means the house goes to the bank, right? And mm -hmm. so the idea is that the debt is either in the house or in the, the $2.8 million mortgage, right? Here, the debt is either in the validator or you pay back the, the 2080, right? And yeah. so the, the concept is, is exactly the same. Now, um, one thing is, like, the, clearly the question is, well, why would people do this? It's the same reason they would uh, run a node in, in Rocket Pool, right? You get to keep the earnings, Right, you get to keep the the mev, the, the the tips and and stuff, and it's it's very lucrative if you like running nodes. You know how to run them, and uh, you don't need thirty two ETH. You only need four to run one, right? And mm -hmm. so it's a it's a very lucrative thing. And the only thing you pay is the interest rate to the actual uh, Frax mm. ETH minters, aka the the lenders into the system, right? Yeah. So I guess the real world equivalent. Wait, can I go? Yeah. Into one thing. So the real world equivalent would be like to continue on the house example, let's say the interest on the house is 5%. Um, and you take, you know, the 2.8 million and you find some like fund or some shit and you put it into like a 10% fund. And then you just take like 5% of that, pay it back over time. And that's basically the same thing of how it would work. Just like continuing on that example, right? Yeah, like, so one of the main differences is, yeah, so the main difference there is usually mortgages are like fixed rate and TradFi, there's a lot of fixed interest rate. Like if you get a 5% mortgage, um, likely won't uh, change, right? Mm -hmm. In DeFi, all of these loans are essentially um, non-maturing loans. Uh, you can always have them out as long as your LTV is good. And then the interest rate is variable. It changes based on the market, right? And so that's actually how... Braxith V2 works because the interest rate is based on utilization. And what that means is how many people are, are doing this, right? They're borrowing or how many people are repaying. Um, and so the more and more people that are borrowing, the interest rate slowly goes up. It'll, you know, go for like 5%, maybe 6%, maybe 7%, right? And if people are starting to pay back, the interest rate goes back down. It goes like 6%, 5%, 4%, 3% or something, right? And the idea with that is very simple. It's what is the highest rate, the interest rate that people are willing to pay to actually run a validator, right? What is the actual market set interest rate for the right to actually produce blocks on Ethereum and, and attest to, to blocks, which is a very interesting concept, right? No one has ever talked about, no one's built a DeFi like protocol that's 
basically come and pay the open market interest rate of what it is to borrow a validator to to actually attest to blocks and make blocks on Ethereum. Frax ETH V2 is the first one. Yeah, and yeah, go ahead, Kate. Oh, um, I just wanted to double click into this interest rate thing because uh, Sam, that was a perfect segue into this this topic. Can we you share a little bit about how the curve AMO kind of ensures there's almost this floor interest rate, like this floor earnings for anyone who were to mint Frax ETH? Yeah, so so the curve AMO is uh, something I think everyone knows about um, uh, that that's in the Frax ecosystem, which basically is like it's a smart contract that manages liquidity in some curve pool. Um, originally, we designed it for the Frax dollar peg stablecoin, right? And mm-hmm. we obviously have one for Frax ETH, the ETH pegged stablecoin. There's a there's a big Frax ETH ETH pool, right? That trades between Frax ETH and ETH, uh, keeps the peg tight um, for the Frax ETH V1 design, the amount that actually goes to the the curve pool as protocol and liquidity is just set to 10%. Governance can change it, but it's just, you know, set to Mm -hmm. 10% of the the balance sheet of ETH just as protocol owned like liquidity, right? In the, in this curve pool. In Frax ETH V2, it's more uh, dynamic and and basically self-managing, which is any of the ETH that's not borrowed from the lending pool you don't want it to just sit in the lending pool, right? Like right now, if you look at Aave, for example, or Compound, if you lend ETH in there, right, and you get out a ETH, it's just sitting there waiting for someone to borrow it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not doing anything. It's not It's not like staked, obviously. It's not uh, anywhere else, right? It's just sitting there doing absolutely nothing, right? Uh, for Frax ETH v2, the ETH is not going to sit there, right? It's either staked and earning rewards because someone's borrowing it or it gets sent to the frax eth eth pool through the curve amo right and that is managers protocol on liquidity and the reason that's really good and really safe is the one half of it is, of the curve pool is eth right the other half of it is frax eth which is a stable coin it's the protocol's own liability right so there is no way that that ETH will be lost. Obviously, smart contract risk, you know, aside, everything mm-hmm. is smart contract risk, right? But there's no economic way uh, for the protocol CR to ever go down, right? Because if you buy Frax ETH from the curve pool, right, you put in one ETH, right? Now, now the protocol owns that ETH, right? Or if you um, if you put in ETH and take out Frax ETH, or you put in Frax ETH and you uh, take out ETH, it's all basically a one-to-one swap, right? And that goes into the curve pool to earn trading fees, to earn CRV, CVX, right? And, and these kinds of things. And then um, that's also makes the curve pool really, really liquid, makes it so that if there is times where, you know, the withdrawal queue is deep, which right now there, there isn't, but, you know, there obviously has been times where it's been very deep. Uh, the withdrawal queue uh, doesn't affect really the, um, the peg price of Frax ETH because there's a very, very deep curve pool that actually is always trading at all times. Yeah, but I really and, like... Yeah, go ahead, Kit. I just want to finish the last point about the curve pool. Is like, And when interest rates is, say, super duper high on the, the lending side, then the curve AMO would actually pull some Frax ETH and put it back into the lending pool so that the interest rate comes down a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the cool thing is this the curve AMO is actually right part of the lending pool, so to speak. It's actually kind mm-hmm. of a very elegant concept because the the lending pool 
and the Curve AMO are basically protocol-controlled ETH, right? And so if someone wants to come and uh, borrow ETH to run a validator, right, and, and there's no uh, ETH in the lending pool or there's not enough, what they do when they initiate the loan is the lending pool tells the Curve AMO, hey, um, take out some ETH, right? Like just, you know, use the LP mm-hmm. tokens, the AMO. Uh, controls to take out some ETH, right? And then send it to the lending pool and then the lending pool sends it to the borrower, right? To spin up a validator. That actually uh, makes it so that the optimum amount of the curve AMO is basically market set, right? Like I said, right now, 10% is just kind of hard-coded for Frax ETH V1, right? It's just like a governance parameter. But the amount that goes in the curve pool can just basically be a market set parameter based on how much ETH is idle that borrowers haven't actually borrowed, right? And so that's very cool. It, it doesn't really need a lot of uh, managing. Oh, so that 10%, you know, could turn dynamic one day, you're saying? Yeah, for Frax ETH V2, uh, you can take off the, the, the hard-coded, you know, the, the ceiling, right, of, of 10%. And you could just say, well, however much idle ETH is not borrowed, that's just in the curve AMO earning yield. But if borrowers want it, right, they can they can pull it and put up a validator for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so when there's high demand, yeah, go ahead, Kent. So theoretically, the utilization rate is essentially we can have a target utilization rate and the curve AMO is basically this this lever that we pull to be like, okay, we want to increase the utilization rate. So let's take out some and dump it into the curve AMO. And hey, the utilization rate is super high. Let's pull some back out, put it back into the lending pool. So we bring that utilization rate back down to like a good rate. That's kind of the idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Governance can totally do that. Um, It can even set... Uh, different rates if it wants to. Exactly. I see the DeFi Trinity here at work and I'm wearing my DeFi Trinity shirt right here. <laughs> How they all interplay. It's like, okay, you have yeah. the ETH in the curve AM or in the curve pool, the AMM. Um, and based on demand, it's being lent out. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. stable stablecoin is being lent out. And it's like this, this stablecoin Trinity is just right yeah. there. Yeah, and we Frax try to ETH design everything. Coin. <laughs> yeah, like it's just basically we try to look at everything financially, right? Like, um, and sometimes, you know, people don't think about stuff financially, especially like LSDs. They think it's like a, um, a technical like thing. A, yeah. And the node operation is a technical thing, but yeah. the the actual financials right. are not, right? They're they're lending uh lending markets. They're it's a financial primitive. Yeah, and for those at home who aren't familiar with the uh, stable the stablecoin Trinity, I mean the DeFi Trinity, it's the stablecoin, the AMM, and the lending market, uh, and that's basically uh, and the more abstract version of that is stablecoin maximalism, which you ultimately designed the Fraxit system um, with. And so, can you go? Um, can you talk about it a bit with uh, like Fraxit and stablecoin maximalism, and like how like Fraxit V two plays into that? Yeah, um, so. Basically, uh, the the whole concept of like like stablecoin maximalism, and I, I think Dave, you probably know this better than anyone because you you <laughs> had studied that uh, speech and stuff that I gave at ETH Denver. Is like a lot of stuff is just stablecoin issuance, right? Like bridges issue stablecoins; they just happen to call their stablecoin the same thing as the you know wrapped you know die or something wrapped USDC or whatever, and uh, our our whole premise is that 
the most valuable thing uh, you can do in DeFi is essentially make it so that your issued liability is the thing that everyone uses as, as money, right? And ideally, your issued liability is trustless, decentralized, does not require you, know, you as the protocol designer or whatever taking custody of any of the, the collateral, right? Just like how Fraxis V2 is fully decentralized. But the most important thing is it's used everywhere uh, as money, right? Like Fraxis is, is used as, as ETH, right? And there's a lot of stuff that is a little bit farther out, but in terms of alpha, like we're obviously working on like Frax chain. Um, it's, it's a decent uh, way out. So at least like six uh, months. But if you think about it, Frax chain should use ETH, Frax ETH as, as uh, gas, right? And so there you have um, a, a new chain, right? That actually can use Frax ETH, uh, the liability of the Frax protocol is gas rather than ETH itself, right? And okay. that makes it even more useful, right? And there's a lot of other places that we want Fraxith to essentially be the same thing as, as Weath, right? And AMMs in mm. other places. And that's the ultimate way that you earn monetary premium, right? Monetary premium is the idea that like, you know, people are using USDC, they're using Tether. They're not expecting them to pay yield. Obviously, they'd love for mm. them to pay yield, but like, <laughs> look, Tether is 80 billion Tether and, and they're not paying yield in, in, in it, right? Yeah. Um, and so the same thing is the terminal uh, state for a lot of DeFi primitives should be if you can issue a liability and have monetary premium for that liability. So everything we do at Frax is basically building towards the future of like our issued non-custodial decentralized uh, stable coins being that useful, being useful enough where people use it as money. And from what I understand in the group chat, because I remember seeing when Fraction was talked about, because of EIP-1559 and ETH getting burned, uh, you know, during transactions with FraxEth, you know, for that happening, then that FraxEth just getting burned, um, which means it's just like, oh, like, you know, the monetary premium increases. Uh, did I get that right? Yep, exactly. And so, like for example, Frax Chain uh, is slated to be a like a hybrid rollup, right? Which means obviously it pushes state to uh, ETH mainnet, and the the gas is denominated, you know, in ETH or one to one in Frax ETH. And so, uh, as people use Frax Chain, right, then the amount of Frax ETH used, right, in in the ecosystem uh, will increase, right? And so that Frax ETH can be burned or it could actually be distributed to VFXS holders. That's one thing we haven't even talked about, which is like you have VFXS holders on uh, mainnet, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing that's really interesting that we're, you know, uh, thinking about is what if VFXS holders can uh, vote on what group of people run sequencers for FraxChain, right? Like you, you can actually have a system where, the sequencers are fully decentralized and on uh, mainnet VFXS holders vote on which, you know, entities or addresses can actually operate the sequencer, which batches and, and pushes proofs to uh, the rollup, the fraction rollup contract. Right. And so that itself can be auctioned, right? Sequencer auctions are, are like a thing, right? So sequencers that uh, think that they can make money, right, on fees and things like that, they pay VFXS holders to actually run sequencers on Frax chain, 
right? That's very, very profitable for VFXS holders. And all this stuff can be done on chain because VFXS is staked on mainnet, right? And so the elections and the auctions happen on mainnet itself, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fees for Frax chain uh, in Frax ETH are paid to VFXS holders. That's super simple, right? With the proof that you batch, you just send the Frax ETH also to the VFXS yield contract. Think of it like kind of like how Curve right now, VECRV holders get uh, fees for like the swaps on, on Curve. But imagine if it was actually just a roll-up and the fees of the mm. roll-up get sent to the, the VE, you know, CRV holders. Imagine if Curve had like a Curve chain mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. right? And the it wasn't just the fees of the AMM that get sent to VE, CRV holders, but it was the fees of the entire roll-up, right? For example, Arbitrum is making, you know, millions of dollars of, of fees, right? Like you're saying, Dave, that can be burned as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that can also just be sent to VFXS holders yeah. in a trustless manner because it gets pushed on chain, just like where the proofs get pushed on mainnet. Wow. <laughs> we came in for Frax ETH, but like, wow, we're here for Frax Chain. I think uh, you should call Frax Chain Fractal. <laughs> I feel like that would be a cool name for it because I, I always, like, now I've been thinking of like Frax being like a, a microcosm of DeFi. I'm like, oh, it's a fractal. So, like, I feel like you should put that into uh, consideration. Uh, that's a that's a cool uh, that's a cool mm-hmm. name. Fraximalism is also kind of cool because it Fra- you know, uh, yeah, optimism. optimism a little bit, but yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. you don't want to make it seem like it's just like a like a copy. But a copy. it yeah. it also is a cool thing in the running. Um, I think so, it it should just maybe have a different name than than like the word like chain in it because yeah. I'm not sure if the all chains have like cool names right like Ethereum or you know like Phantom uh, <laughs> Polygon. Yeah, yeah. The, there's only I think the only major chain that has the word actual chain in it is like Binance Smart Chain, but like that's yeah. it. And um, another thing that's been like researched and been a big topic quite recently in Ethereum is account abstraction. And when creating, you know, fraction fractal, um, are you guys going to utilize account abstraction at all? Like in six months or a year when it comes out? Yeah. So account abstraction is really interesting because it allows you to do a whole host of stuff from obviously smart contract accounts, uh, gas abstraction. So people don't have to pay, uh, gas. Technically it can be outsourced or, uh, there's like social recovery wallets and these kinds of things. Um, one thing we're like looking into is if all of the accounts on, you know, Frax chain, uh, at, at like Genesis can, actually just be smart contract accounts that would be really interesting to just have a roll-up where from day one the the ecosystem is built on account abstracted uh wallets rather than eoas right because it's it's difficult to just go from uh eoas that everyone uses to like smart contract account abstracted like uh Mm -hmm. you know account based systems but if you start a whole roll-up from day one where like everyone's is basically uh, these smart contract wallets, that would be really cool. Then what you can do is you basically, it's, it's almost like a bank account, right? Where it's a fully programmable bank account, right? You're like, I want, uh, you know, my wallet is a deposit account of like dollars, right? There's Frax in it. And then there's, uh, some ETH, right? And you stake it as, uh, as Frax ETH. So it's earning, you know, interest. And then, you know, maybe you unstake a little bit of it to use as, as gas, right? And you can do social recovery, obviously, you can do these other things, but it's almost like Frax Chain is like a decentralized 
bank account, right? That's like fully programmable. You can, you can build on it and, and stuff. And that's really cool, right? That actually is a really unique take on what a, you know, fully decentralized chain should be rather than, you know, the, the 50th, you know, Alt L1 or L2, like <laughs> uh, build an ecosystem of, you know, we'll give grants and, and stuff like that. It's a different vision for what uh, it should be. Got it. Sam, you know, all this talk of Fraxchain is just getting my, my wheels spinning here. And I would love to hear from you. What do you think are the next products and things that needs to be built to get us on this road to Fraxchain? You know, obviously, FraxGov is coming. FraxCV2 is here. FraxV3 is coming down the line, too. Like, all these things Frax are simply marching us. Is, is uh, you know marching us towards this fraction chain future so I'd, I'd love to hear um what you think we need to be build next yeah and uh obviously i always caveat this like this is not you know financial advice or anything but i think a, a lot of people are probably underestimating or like undervaluing kind of all of the stuff that's coming right they're they're just you know because right now is pretty pretty bad time in the market, both regulatory, macro, high interest rates and all this stuff. And so like people look at token prices and FXS and stuff. And again, it's not like it's uh, investment advice or stuff, but when I look at it and I just see like people's like, you know, kind of vibe check or something. Right. And then I think about the kind of stuff that we do have coming that we are building. And I like look at the end state of what I know and I feel confident of what the Frax ecosystem will look like in, in one year, in two years or something. Uh, I just think, um, damn, like the damn. current price. Yeah, exactly. Like If we can actually push this out, which so far we've been able to do, um, you know, slowly, step by step. Uh, the stuff that's left, like Dave said, Frax ETH v2, uh, the BAM, uh, Frax v3, the, the stablecoin, and just a lot of new kinds of stuff we're doing. You know, more decentralized self-serve uh, FXS gauges. You can, you know, you don't have to like ask uh, us to deploy it or anything. It's it's a totally new uh, system. That's something like I'm working on. Uh, the system where you can uh, lock more liquidity efficiently, and it's it's more. Uh, decentralized and just a lot of these updated things that um, need to be pushed out and and these big releases like the Frax v3 um, all of those things kind of will culminate with uh, the Frax chain launch and then once all of them are there like I was saying there's just so much diverse areas where the protocol issues non-custodial decentralized stable coins like like the eth like lsd right like the dollar one like fpi and, and stuff and there's just such a wide diverse range of like places where there's uh revenue to vfxs holders sequencer auctions right like bam trading fees lending and and borrower uh fees right from frax lend and uh, the, you know, Frax ETH V2 uh, protocol fees and, and things like that. And it's just, uh, it's like a global economy, right? But slowly, we, we have to be able to push things out uh, step by step. Slowly, then all at once. The exactly. Fracto <laughs> reverberates throughout the universe and on chain. Uh, well, I like... I was not expecting all this alpha. I'm very satisfied with it. Kit, I'm not sure if you have any more questions. I, I'm. We can just go right into the lightning round from here if you don't. 
Let's go right into the lightning. This has been more than enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, since this is your fourth time on, uh, I believe. Yep, fourth time on. We uh, we got to get creative here with the lightning round questions. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead uh, first. Um, so, Sam, if you're any fictional character, which one would you be and why? Oh, shit. Uh, I think uh, Batman. I, always my favorite superhero because he doesn't have superpowers. He's just super smart and has the coolest gadgets. Yeah, and he's all black. <laughs> Same colors as Rex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because someday Sam Kaz can actually be Batman. That's that's why <laughs> it's, it, yeah. it's a reality. Okay. Uh, question is, if you could time travel back to any period of time or forward, where would you go and why? When would you go and why? Uh, huh, that's a good question. Uh, well, let me just do First of all, if I'd go backwards, I'd go back to talk to Immanuel Kant. Uh, he's one of my favorite philosophers. Uh, I was a... Uh, philosophy major and neuro major. I really like uh, his writing. So back to that level, to front, uh, I'd go to time where uh, there's a full brain-computer interface with AI and uh, humans to see how that actually works out. What would you ask Kant? Uh, how he came up with uh, both his critique of pure reason, uh, the the work, and the categorical imperative. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, next question. <laughs> What's the most unusual food combination you've tried and actually enjoyed? Ooh, uh, that is really interesting. Um, <laughs> let's see. I've had uh, alligator jerky in like uh, in, in Miami. It's actually like, um, and I... I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't. It, it, it was a little bit gamey, and then I had it with uh, sushi, which is kind of weird, but it was pretty decent. <laughs> Kit, me and you both, right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then I, I'm just trying to think of like what was the one thing that happened in your, like, whether it be advice or an experience that really impacted who you are today. Uh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I just always come back to like, uh, and, and I say this a lot, but like just thinking about positive sum and like the, the good in people is, is something that impacts me a lot, not a specific event, but just, you know, there's a worldview where like people are inherently, you know, good and then because of like bad incentives or bad circumstances, you know, they might act in a, in a bad way. Right. And then there's a second worldview, which is like people are inherently bad and like you need good incentives and like you need fear or whatever to make them act properly. Right. I was never that second type. I always see the, the, the good in both like humanity, but also just even in smaller stuff in, in like positive some. Uh, workings with like crypto projects and everything. So something that's just impacted me a lot and not a specific event, but just thinking about the world always in every aspect as a, as a glass half full kind of person, rather than the default being the glass half empty, right? The, rather than the default being like people are inherently like bad. It's only incentives that make them act good. It's no, it's people are inherently good and and sometimes incentives might cloud their judgment or, or have them act badly. So that's uh, I always come back to you know positive sum mentality. Well said. 
And my final question is, um, who do you think should be our next podcast guest? You have any recommendations? Ooh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, what do you guys think in the crypto space? Like, have you seen anything really, uh, interesting, like any projects come up recently? Uh, we just interviewed the founder of infinity pools. Um, that was a great, that one. was one. Yep. That was, that's gonna be a real deep cut. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think, um, I'd really oh, like I see what you're doing here, Sam. You can't throw the oh, question you... back to us. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll answer. No, no, no. Well, the infinity pool thing is good. I, I'll answer yeah. though. I, yeah. I think, um, to be honest, I think if we get actually like a, a, a diverse set of like people, like for example, even people that like Frax hasn't like worked directly with, like someone from Uniswap or Maker or something. I'm always or, or even like Lido and and stuff like. I think building inroads uh, and like I was just saying, and trying to always extend like a hand of friendship rather than like a, a hand of like zero sum, right? Competition, mm -hmm. none of that uh, is really cool. So anyone from, from maker like uh, paper Imperium is, is really cool. Oh um, yeah. Right? He does a lot of advocacy stuff. In DC. Yeah. I think right fan. now he's working on interest uh, protocol or something like that but he's yeah. just so knowledgeable on so many things yeah um, i think having really cool him and sam and you know a few other people would be good and hexanaut yeah. would be good yeah um yeah uh yeah we should we, i've been meaning to have them on honestly um but it just hasn't matched up but maybe soon maybe soon after this one um i think that's it for me uh sam thank you so much for coming on um, with all the alpha uh, and we're really excited to have you back on again soon hopefully soon for Frax V3 yes sir thank you guys thank for you, man. Yeah. well this is a post game episode for the fourth time that Mr. Caspian has come on to uh, Flywheel and uh, we learned a lot didn't we yeah we were coming into this just to talk about Frax V2 but then we got Frax Chain <laughs> we got like the I knew last, that was coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Of course, like the last third of the episode was just like everything you need to know about Frax Chain so far. Um, and I think we're all because all that's just so new to us. Yeah. Um, but anyways, guys, what are your initial thoughts on this episode? I've been very impressed with how the mental models around everything that we're building. And essentially everything in the e-space as well, too, is going to like radically change over the next six to 12 months because of, of the single effect of providing a interest rate for validators to, to borrow ETH. Like everything that comes out of it of saying, okay, here is the base rate for giving someone else your ETH and letting them go and do something with it. It, it just brings on all these other things combined with like the Sam's like stablecoin maximalism ideas that uh, as, as long as you have like a base rate in crypto that says you're going to make 3%, 4%, whatever it is, doesn't matter. As long as you have that like base interest rate, now you can split off the collateral versus the, uh, the yield or the principal versus the yield. And you can do so many things with it. And it's, it is just incredible how, uh, this simple shift in 
the mental model for Frax has unlocked everything just from like Frax ETH. And then we talked about Frax Chain and every other product that they're building is going to be incorporating these ideas into it. It's so cool. Yeah, I feel like you can write a whole article about that. Um, especially how, can you go into a bit more how you think like over the next six to 12 months, things are going to radically change? So, you, okay, there's going to be this like floor baseline rate of like return uh, in ETH. And then Frax is basically creating a market um, for for like trading that for the interest rate, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, Frax is saying like, here's the baseline that you can earn for ETH. And like, the assumption is, is that like all ETH validators kind of make the same right now, right? But um, what we're seeing, you know, from our eigenlayer interview plus everything else is that there's a ton of new tech that's coming, which is going to like radically change the amount of uh, profitable opportunities that people can engage in. So, you know, say you want to, you know, spin up a, a like it's, it's easier on like AVAX, right? Because they have these things called like subnets, right? You spin up a subnet, you have your own token that runs in that subnet and it gets paid out. Like you have these like pockets of, um, pockets of like profitable entities, which you can attach your validator to. And so we move beyond the baseline of like, everybody's just doing something for consensus. And now we have this like entire world global system of, um, other opportunities that you can engage in to uh, to like increase your yield, and you base that against your the the Fraxit deal. Yep, I, I, that's why I asked Sam during the uh, interview about like how the curve AMO effectively sets the floor for what this interest rate yeah. will be, and and who sets that? Well, the FXS bribes sets that. So it, it really comes down to like there's going to be a floor yield, and I could imagine that as a growth tactic the floor yield on the curve AMO is going to equal what, say, Lido is paying out. And that's the target so that everything on top is going to be a bonus. So why would you use Lido when you could come over and use Frax ETH where the floor is going to be what you get at Lido and the upside is kind of infinite, especially yeah. once they start incorporating into the eigenlayer stuff, right? Well, I, it, I definitely it, like, think... Eigenlayer is just like an idea. Eigenlayer just says that like there is a base yield that you earn for ETH, which is going to be the Frax ETH yield. And then we're building all these applications which are using the security guarantees of ETH on top of it, and they provide extra yield incomes. So like as a validator now, you you assume going forward that like the opportunities are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And maybe there's something where like you can earn 10%, but the yield, but like the base borrowing rate's only five, right? Or like 12 or 15 or 20. And we're going to enter into like an entire new paradigm of, um, of like ETH staking opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. a big issue though, is like as the ETH staker, maybe I don't want my validator to go so ham and go into re, 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 re staking and open up re, so re, much re. more slashing. Cause Shout there's out only four ETH, it's <laughs> only four ETH uh, collateral, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I think there's going to be, a, it's going to evolve, right? On day one, it's not going to be this complex re, 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 re staking marketplace. It's going to grow over time and people are going to be able to differentiate, Hey, this validator, I mean, the current utilization rate is so high and so expensive. That means everybody is re, 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 re staking. Now it's exactly. time for me to pull out some ETH so that I don't participate in this crazy bubble of re, 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 re staking. 
Yeah, but I think that's the the risk that goes forward, right? So like when we talk about like the risk-free rate, right? The risk-free rate is going to be the Fraxith minimum borrow rate um, because like why would you stake with Lido or mm -hmm. somewhere else where you could go to Frax, right? And get like the risk-free rate. But then like as the node operator, now instead of just settling for these like baseline opportunities, I, I think I think the... You, you you move away from this like socialist protocol aspect where both the profits and the losses are socialized. Like, so if you're an RPL and there's like a really good MEV opportunity today, like it's socialized across the entire uh, mm -hmm. validator set, right? Or same thing with, with Lido as well too, right? But now if you're able to capitalize on the MEV or whatever sort of like opportunities, we'll just call them like block opportunities, if you're able to capitalize on those, uh, you can outpace the like base market rate, the risk, like the risk-free rate, mm -hmm. and and make a ton more money uh, by by running a, a very knowledgeable, profitable um, performance infrastructure operation. Yeah, I think that's the whole design of the of this whole thing. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just I just don't know when. Um, I mean, we're fast forwarding way too far now. But let's say there's. Uh, an oracle that wants to use frax eth security and it's just that one little extra like toggle to be yeah. like degen mode <laughs> oh, <laughs> it adds on and it adds on like an extra percent it adds yeah. on an extra percent every year like think think about all the opportunities like if you if you internalize you know we talked to the eigenlayer guys if you internalize all that security budget that's gone to all these different protocols right and now you just put yeah. it into like eth validators like Yep. There's so much opportunity and like the, the, the yield is not going to be like a four or 5%, right? That's the base. It's the risk-free rate. Everything after that is going to be this like upside opportunity that you get to run as an infrastructure provider. And it's, it's, I think the, there's huge amounts of potentiality here for competent node operators who uh, may like taking risks by providing their services to, you know, uh, different networks, right? Uh, mm -hmm. can, can just, uh, you know, make, make way more than this, like base interest rate. Sam, Dave, and I hear you. We I will know. have flywheel nodes. Don't I, worry about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. so flywheel like, look, validators, look, uh, the, the thing, the thing that Sam figured out, right. Is that like, everything's alone and that, you know, you just have to, uh, be able to like quantify that as long as, as soon as you can like turn that into a. Uh, a product. Now you have something which you can build upon, right? Like yep. think of, think about it like this. Like I, come here, Dave. Are you happy? She's happy. So think about she's it like this. Pumped he's about a, she's excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to imagine I'm going to imagine a token here, and this token is the spread of the yield between my validator set and the Fraxith baseline rate. So let's say that I have a um, like a frax like I'm I'm I have a really profitable operation, right? I could sell the spread yeah, uh, yeah, as sure. like a fixed rate or like a floating rate that somebody could buy, and they could buy that cash flow uh, as as and then I could just sell it off and then pocket it for like either my DAO or protocol or entity or whatever it is. Like that, that's not possible before, but like once we have the frax rate, now we can do that, right? Now we can, now we can make that sort of token. That's that it just engages another layer of financialization. 
Wow. <laughs> this, this is the Sam post game. It is, and I'm it all is, for it. Yeah. I'm all yeah, for yeah. it. Look, look, I've just been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, and, you know, the, the stablecoin maximalism was just the first point, right? That we separate the yield and the principle. Uh, but once you do that, you like look at all the different things that you can do in TradFi once you have those abilities. And there are infinite types of products that you can build uh, that just were not available before. Yeah. And yeah. we're here for that future. Yeah. And if you um, want to be with us every step of the way in that future, you know what you got to do. You got to hit that bell button and subscribe. Give us a like. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Follow us on Twitter <laughs> at FlywheelDeFi. Make sure you join our Telegram group at FlywheelDeFi. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And I'm at traders underscore insight. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Peace. <laughs> Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.